Hello and welcome to Casual Krakoa. I'm Dave Using, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Thanks so much for joining live today. Today we're going to be talking about X-Men comics that came out on May 11th. May 11th. Let's see if we can change this on the fly here, on the banner, because we got the wrong date. We're going to be talking about the new Comic Book Day comics that came out this past weekend on free Comic Book Day. And then we're going to talk about X-Men number 11, which is the new release, if there's time if there's time, we could talk a little bit about Moon Knight. Uh, what is it? Black, White, and Blood. Some some variation on those. Written by Jonathan Hickman. The first Jonathan Hickman written comic released by Marvel since what? <laughs> Inferno number four, I guess, way back when at the start of this year. Um, we can talk about that as we get there. But get in your questions now about comics, about what's going on in X-Men. We had actually Free Comic Book Day plus X-Men number 11. Um... Some of the most exciting reveals in X-Men in what feels like, you know, years, but, you know, probably months. Uh, some really good big stuff. Some really good big teases. I'm excited to talk about these. There's some great stuff going on here. Uh, we can also talk, you know, we can talk a little Doc Strange, Multiverse of Madness. We talk a little Moon Knight, right? These sorts of things. Get in your questions, of course, in the comments. And let me know. Let me know if everything's coming in okay, sounds good, uh, audio's good, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll dive right in and talk about these comics. Now, I'm definitely going to want to start today with the free comic book day stuff. Again, this has been out for a handful of days now because that was this past weekend. I just got around to them today. They are free. The Marvel stuff, at least, is free on Comixology. Um, it's free through Marvel Unlimited. And then, of course, at your local comic shop. My comic shop still had a bunch of them. Uh, so I was able to pick up basically all the Marvel issues today when I rode uh, on over to the shop. Okay, so thanks so much, everybody, for joining um, I really appreciate it. I'm already seeing a super chat come in, which is super appreciated. Thank you so much for your support. That is open and will be prioritized for anybody with comments or questions. Uh, it says here, you do an amazing job. Love from Baton Rouge. I thought Free Comic Day X-Men and Issue 12 was fun. Agreed. And thanks so much for the comment there. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, Free Comic Day was good stuff. It was good stuff. And not only was it good, but there was the Avengers, X-Men, Eternals, Judgment Day setup. And then there was a the little mini X-Men issue. And of course... That's going to have X-Men and Mutant content, right? That's expected. But then the free comic day Spider-Man stuff, written by Zem Wells, coming off of one of, if not the best, mutant book in Hellions. Right now he's writing The Amazing Spider-Man with John Romita Jr. And, uh, and doing some big mutant stuff there as well. These Spidey X-Men universes are intermingling in ways that I don't always love, but because of Zeb Wells' involvement with the X-Office and that sort of you know, just the style and personality that he brought to Hellions, I'm actually pretty excited for it. I'm actually looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely some good stuff. It was more exciting than I anticipated. The free comic day issues are often, you know, they're just little teaser palettes, uh, little small things to give away, right, to give people a feel for comics, supposed to get people engaged with the medium. Um, it's rare, you know, a couple years ago, it was like a literal teaser for, it was a setup, it was like a prologue chapter for Ten of Swords, and it was bewildering, I think, if you're a new reader. Um, these are less that, but definitely still very much of a piece with where Marvel's at in current contemporary continuity. Uh, they definitely give you a flavor of like, yeah, this is what's going down in Avengers and Eternals and X-Men as we spiral towards Judgment Day, an event which I will say yet again, you know, I am fairly excited for. Like, I, I think uh, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be interesting at a minimum. Um, and I have a lot of faith in Kieran Gillen as a, as a comic author, okay? So, all right, let's see. Let's get some pictures going. Let's get some, some visuals here, and then we'll talk about these comics. 
Let's do this puppy. All right, let's look at some comics while I chat here. So, free comic book day issue, we had X FCBD 22. Um, okay, so we've talked about this in the past. Judgment Day is, in fact, is, in fact, going to, in, in large part, center around the interpretation of mutants as deviants. Okay? Uranus, the, what is he, the grandfather of Thanos here? Um, some relationship to Thanos sort of pitched in Eternals, which you should be reading because it's amazing, and I say it every episode, and I'll say it again. It's a great run. The one-shots are awesome. Uh, there's the best Thanos burn of decades <laughs> now in the uh, in the in one of these one-shots. Uh, but Uranus says mutant can be mutation, but it can also be deviancy. Why does this matter? Well, if the mutants of the Marvel Universe are interpreted as deviants, that means they will be hunted by the Eternals, okay? That is the Eternals' purpose. That is their prime directive. It is coded into their DNA. That is what they are here to do. Um, and if mutants, X-Men, folks of Krakoa, citizens of Krakoa, are considered deviants, that means war. That means they need to hunt them down and take them out, okay? So that is important. Now, there is been some hand-wringing, and definitely on these casual Krakoas we've talked about in the past too, in terms of like, is that a proper interpretation? Um, is, is that actually correct? And I kind of think, and I think Gillen's playing with it a bit here in the Free Comic Book Day special, it kind of doesn't matter, right? It kind of doesn't matter whether or not that is an accurate assessment, so much as if folks like Uranos, with all the power that they have within Eternals factions, right? This is an individual who has been imprisoned by the Eternals for centuries upon centuries, right? And now has the ear of Thanos, has the ear of Druig, and these sorts of things. Um, if they believe it, and they're able to sell factions of the Eternals on it, it doesn't matter how true it is. It just doesn't. So, you know, and it's like, I think in terms of a reason the Eternals would come into conflict with Krakoa, it's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. It makes a lot of sense, and it puts these two teams that, that have a lot in common now, in some ways, on a track against each other. And what do they have in common? Well, and it's hyped up here in the Free Comic Day special, mutant kind has conquered death, right? They have resurrection protocols. They cannot die. They can be brought back. That puts them in league with the Eternals. Now, the Eternals have some, some sassy things to say about that. For Druig, for example, right? He's like, they're immortal at best. They're not eternal, okay? Semantics, right? Nonetheless, putting these two factions against each other it's interesting, and it also showcases, too, you have the Avengers in the middle of all this. It also really highlights, like, what is the Avengers' role in all of this, right? And the the Earth-based, the human-based heroes of the world are caught in the crossfire now, potentially, of two much larger, much more powerful factions. You know, the idea of an Avengers versus X-Men is always sort of appealing, I think, to, to broad swaths of comics fans, right? There's a 2012 event called Avengers vs. X-Men, which does exactly this. Um, it's always mildly appealing, but, like, in the Krakoa era, when you have a mutant kind that has established its own nation, that dictates so much of the world from the financials to the pharmaceutical industry to, you know, just day-to-day -day politics, um, you know, global politics, right? But also has conquered Mars, right? Has taken Mars for themselves and shipped all these, what is it, 16 million mutants or whatever it is of Araco to Mars, claimed it, claimed the solar system, right? 
the Avengers aren't a threat <laughs> to mutant kind. They're really not, you know? Um, so the idea of an Avengers versus X-Men in this era, it's like, that's not the battle. That's not the battle. Mutant kind is past that. <laughs> like, they're way past that. The Avengers are not a threat, okay? You throw the Eternals into a mix, an entire society that is dedicated to hunting them because they're deviants, you have more of a conversation. That's actually more of a conversation. And this isn't this isn't on the level of, like, who would win in a fight stuff, right? It's like Thor versus Icarus. It's like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is more on a civilization, on an inhabiting this Earth basis, who's going to come out on top, right? Who's going to actually control and dominate and own this Earth? Um, pitching the Eternals versus the X-Men in this regard is an interesting way. Now, again, I will say the Eternals being a genuinely good, cool threat to the X-Men only works because of the work Kieran Gillen and Isad Ribic have been doing in that series since, what is it now, early 2021? Okay, um, it, what, it, what, are, what is time, right? What are years? But I think that's when the run started, right? We're like 12 issues into that, heading into this event. There have been some one-shots as well. All that stuff only works because that run has been so good. It's one of my favorite Marvel comics of the past couple of years, right? Like if this was five years ago, it would have been laughable, right? It would have been laughably insignificant because nobody cared about the Eternals. They didn't have a good run. They didn't have a basis to be that interested in them. Even if there was the MCU sort of connections, it would have meant nothing you know, on the comic scale, but here it does. Here it does because it's been good and it's it's quite interesting. So again, like I'm interested in Judgment Day. Comic book events are extremely hard, extremely hard to pull off and be like genuinely good, right? Like like something like um, earlier this year, Devil's Reign is a decent example of like, it's not great by any measure, I don't think, but it's reasonably good as an extension of the Daredevil run that it's coming out of. I think that's, that's I'm looking for something a little bit higher than that, a little bit better than that in terms of like, this is Gillen basically getting to do a maxi series for the two books he's writing, Eternals and Immortal X-Men, you know? Um, but if you can hit about that level, that's, that's kind of what is to be expected, right? The 2015 Secret Wars, the um, I, I Love DC Metal, the original incarnation, and what is that, 2017? Those types of highs, those types of highs are much fewer and further between. And both of those instances that I really love also have the benefit of being a years in the making build, right? For obviously for the Hickmanverse on the Marvel side, you have literally comics from 2008 until 2015 building to that point, very intentionally, or if not intentionally, at least with the possibility of getting to that end state in mind. And then with Metal, you had Snyder and Capillo and their whole Batman-verse, right? And you had, it had kind of a foundation getting to that point. I think the foundation here with Eternals and Immortal X-Men is too light to hit at that level in terms of my favorite comic book events, but it could definitely be good. It could be Devil's Reign and hopefully a bit better um, because Devil's Reign was, was a bit forgettable in my in my estimate. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got high hopes. I think it's good. Now, Another interesting thing here, we also had stuff, you know, Gillen sneaking in, like, these new Eternals, right? He's really building out Eternal society in some cool ways. You have a character, Jack of Knives, who's, you know, this Eternals. He's a spy on Krakoa, so apparently he can defy 
the mutation, you know, uh, needs, necessities. You have to be a mutant to be on Krakoa, not if you're Jack of Knives, I guess, right? So they've got spies already infiltrating Krakoa. Stuff like that, I think, is pretty cool and is pretty interesting. And again, I'm excited to see how this plays out. Now, the other half <laughs> of this issue is the most talked about piece of it, okay? It's definitely the biggest part. And this is where we get the big reveal, biggest reveal, that Mary Jane is a brand ambassador for Krakoan drugs. <laughs> okay, that's not the biggest reveal, although I actually really like that that's happening, I gotta say. Like, putting a human face and a human face that we know in Mary Jane Watson, right, longtime girlfriend, wife, associate of Peter Parker, um, as a, a brand ambassador for Krakoan drugs because they're helping her, her Anna uh, deal with, with dementia that was setting on or, or some sort of, you know, mental, not mental illness, but some sort of a disease like that. Um, that's cool. I like that. Okay. So it gets Mary Jane a connection with Krakoa, gets her sort of advocating for using these drugs because they're benefiting her life. And then you have, okay, Mary Jane's going to get to attend the Hellfire Gala. Like she is a friend of mutant kind. Now there was a lot as this stuff sort of got leaked and got teased in advance of free comic book day. There was a lot of hand wringing and concern, or in some cases, excitement that like, oh, they're going to reveal Mary Jane is a mutant. And that's why she's going to be at the Hellfire Gala. I'm not, like, super opposed to that, I gotta say, actually. Like, that would actually be kind of an interesting... If you're going to do a Mary Jane Has a Secret story, which Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr. appear to be doing in their, their very early stages of their Amazing Spider-Man run, I gotta say, I don't hate the idea that it's that MJ is a mutant. Um, but nonetheless, it doesn't appear to be that at all. It's more just she is an ally of mutant kind, and, the, and she's getting to the, invited to the Hellfire Gala that way. But Mary Jane does not appear that she's going to be able to attend, <laughs> okay? It doesn't look like MJ, in, in control of her faculties, will be attending because at the very end of this free comic day issue, Moira X, who's narrating the issue, and, it, well, we'll get, to, we'll get to her state here in a second for those of you who might, might have forgotten or not have read yet. Um, she sneaks in, she looks like a robot, and she says, I'm going to be wearing you, MJ, to the gala. Now, couple couple callbacks here to Death of Wolverine, which obviously is fairly recent memory, didn't happen not that long ago. Moira, in her, in Deaths of Wolverine, Moira turns evil. <laughs> there's no, there's no better way to say it. And there's also, um, it's, it's that simple. <laughs> like it is that simple. There is not that much complexity to it. She turns straight up evil. She is the arch villain now of Krakoa in, in many, many ways. And one of the things she does in Deaths of Wolverine is she cuts off Banshee's skin Sean Cassidy, longtime romantic interest of the character back in the Claremont era, cuts off his skin and wears it to get into Krakoa to suggest that she has mutant DNA. So Moira skinning and wearing people, that's where we're at, <laughs> right? That's where we're at with Moira X. Um, it is way, 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 way over the top uh, in terms of the, the horror villain turn that Moira has taken uh, going from you know, kind of being the key to Krakoa, the one who has all these lifelines, who has all this knowledge of what's to come and what will be and what happened in her previous lives and what it takes for mutant kind to succeed in the future. All that is kind of thrown in the trash at this point. And now she's a really evil robot. <laughs> like, like that's basically what we have with Moira. And putting it in those terms, I gotta say, it sounds bad. <laughs> that doesn't sound like an improvement. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit because I've I've been having some more thoughts as I want to do. Um, but she says here, okay, I'm going to be wearing you to the gala. Now, some readers have jumped to the conclusion from this that 
Moira's going to kill MJ and Skinner, like she did with Banshee. She's going to pull a Banshee and wear MJ's skin to the Hellfire Gala. So a couple thoughts here. <laughs> One, I don't think that at the Hellfire Gala, attended by all of Marvel's most famous mutants, the Avengers, all sorts of, in theory, you know, well-doing, well-meaning people, uh, that someone wearing <laughs> dripping bloody skin around them would go unnoticed. Don't think that would go unnoticed, okay? So I don't think that's going to happen for that reason. I also don't think, like, Moira's actually going to kill MJ because MJ's pretty clearly a part of the Wells and John Romita Jr. run. I don't think they're ready to take her off the table. So what does that mean? Uh, it could mean any number of ways that she does it, but I think, you know, Moira's going to pretend to be MJ. She's going to use her robot tech to create a hologram to to make give the appearance of MJ. She's going to, uh, you know, she's got her, her tentacles there, her pointy fingers in MJ's head. She's going to control her consciousness. She's going to do something that makes it so that Moira can quote-unquote attend the Hellfire Gala. Again, maybe she won't even be there on purpose, right? Maybe she'll be puppeting, basically, MJ at the Hellfire Gala just so she has eyes and ears and can do whatever it is she's planning to do. I think on that level, like Moira attending the Hellfire Gala, sneaking around, acquiring information, that's actually interesting, I, I have to say. I'm still, I, I'm back on my heels, and I'm definitely increasingly nervous and, and not feeling good about this Moira the Archvillain turn. You know, as we were going through X lives and X deaths of Wolverine, uh, the 10 week event, you know, it was, I was definitely in the mindset of like X deaths is doing Moira stuff and it's been so long and we've been so hungry for this most interesting character in the Krakoa era to actually get some playing time that I'm like, I, whatever, do whatever you have to do, move fast, do crazy stuff. Let's see where it goes. I do just think this outcome, this outcome of Moira as evil X-Men robot, it kind of sucks, doesn't it? I mean, it just kind of sucks. Um, it's just so, it's so much less cool than what we had, I think is the biggest thing. Uh, it's not that like, you know, robots and machines threatening mutants is uninteresting. It's not actually. Uh, that's, that's a big part of this, this era is like artificial intelligence and Nimrod as a major threat. We already have that stuff. We have Nimrod, we have Master Moles, we have an Omega Sentinel. We have those threats. Taking the most interesting mutant on Krakoa, the one who makes the whole era possible, and turning her into, quote-unquote, the bad guy, the individual who lost it, and now turned into a robot who breaks into uh, uh, Spider-Girlfriend's homes. That, that's derogatory towards Mary Jane. <laughs> breaks into MJ's home and is taking her over. Like, it's such a jump. It is such a leap. And it is so much less complex and interesting and compelling than what we had. I think strategically, the and I've said it a million times, I'll say it again, the Moira piece of the puzzle is the biggest drop ball of the Krakoa era. And it is unrecoverable. It is unrecoverable. It is a sunk cost, Right. We are where we are. You have to take it and roll with it. So I'm not like, oh, I'm done with it because of this, right? Obviously, I've never said that, and I'm not going to say that. I can roll with the punches <laughs> of evil robot Moira. Again, like I just said, there can be interesting stuff here in terms of um, her hacking into the Hellfire Gala and her trying to get Orcus's attention. We see in a memo in the pages of X-Men 
and and what this is going to mean for Moira becoming part of the phalanx down the future, right? There's interesting stuff that can come of this. I just, there's no world. And maybe you could convince me. If you if you love this and you're like, here's the, here's the vision, I see it, share it in the comments. I'd love to read about this because I don't see it as anything other than kind of a panicked, rushed response to a self-inflicted wound. You know, uh, there was an there was an interview, uh, one of the the AIPT X Men Mondays with Jordan B White not that long ago. Maybe it was maybe it was last week even, and there was a question about you know what's up with Moira basically, and uh, Jordan talked there how there were plans for an Al Ewing written Moira series, right? The book that I and I think so many fans of House of X and Powers of Ten wanted more than just about anything, right? And there were plans for that. But then, according to uh, Jordan White, those plans, basically, like, the timeline didn't work out, and it sounded like Hickman's plans changed in terms of kind of where he wanted to leave Moira at the end of Inferno. And long story short, the Moira book never happens and seemingly is dead, right? I, I still don't understand why you couldn't still do it, right? Why you couldn't flash back and tell the story that way, knowing what you know now. Um, why you couldn't simply adjust, <laughs> to what the situation is. Now, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but it is just like the what could have been on that front is the one that will always hang over this era. Uh, and I'm seeing the comment here from from Thargos, which is a good one, and something I've been thinking about a lot in the wake of uh, a certain movie <laughs> that came out recently. I won't spoil it more than that. I've been thinking a lot about this version of Moira vis-a-vis -vis the long tradition of mad women in X-Men comics Think of Wanda, yep. Uh, you see, you got House of M Wanda, you got Avengers Assembled, right? You got John Byrne Wanda, you got a lot of Wandies in that equation. Of course, you got Jean Grey, Dark Phoenix, and Moira now kind of fits into that tradition as well. Absolutely. Moira fits into the tradition of this woman is tremendously important and tremendously powerful, and now she's scary and evil, <laughs> right? It's doing the same things. It's doing the same things. It's falling into the same traps. And I think in this case, like like Dark Phoenix, for example, is way more complex and I think debatable in terms of is that healthy? Isn't it healthy? It's such a good story for me that I'm way more, you know, I'll, I'll hear out an argument as to the pro what the problems with it might be, but I think it works in that story. Um, with Moira, I think the the contention, when we, when we look back on this, when folks and critics look back on this in two years, you know, it's going to be like, there was no, it's not like the story got better because of this, <laughs> you know? Think about what we had in House of X and Powers of Ten and how that felt and all the potential for Moira. And now we got robot Moira with her, with her tentacly fingers up against MJ's head saying, I'm going to wear you to the Hellfire Gala. It's not better, <laughs> okay? It's a downgrade. Um... Yeah, so I don't want to I don't want to hype on that negativity negativity too much. It's just like when Moira shows up in this vein, that's always gonna be a problem now, um, and I, it is the sort of thing too where it's like problems can be fixed, right? You can get a creator in here who is like, well, I see what's happened with Moira, and I have a plan how to kind of get her out of that, right? Maybe Karen Gillan already has it in Mortal X Men. He's doing some really interesting stuff there, right? Just based on the first issue as far as how Moira is being manipulated by Mr. Sinister. Remember that name. <laughs> We're going to come back to that. Um, it just, it doesn't work better. It was not 
it does. It, and the, I guess the other the other hard pill to swallow with the Moira bit of it all is it doesn't feel like it was the plan. You know, like it doesn't feel like Circa House of X and Powers of Ten. This was where we were going. Now, if Hickman himself calls an audible and says in Inferno, I had this plan, but now I want to do this. Right. Like, don't blame the other the rest of the X office. That's on that's on Hickman. That's on the man with the plan, on the vision, right? Um, and then you have to kind of adjust. It's just like, it doesn't feel like the the progression from point A, House of X, Powers of Ten, to point B, Moira wearing Banshee's skin into Krakoa, got, had what it needed. And I, this is what I said at the time, right? It's it's a point A and a point B situation. We missed B and C. And that's, that's always going to be a sunk cost there. Okay, so, all right. I'm seeing here in the chat... I just think Robot Moira needs bangs. <laughs> that could save it. That's a great comment. Um, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, maybe that's all I'm missing. Maybe it's purely a bang situation. Uh, I'm seeing from Jay here, I actually like Moira better now because before I didn't really care about her at all. I had the exact opposite reaction, so that's fascinating. Uh, definitely, definitely interested in that. Definitely, I loved her before. Like, like House of X number two, I was so interested in Moira so interested in this character i'm still just like how did we not get a flashback series throughout x-men history from Moira's perspective how did that book not happen like what could have been more interesting here we are here we are let's see nathan says the three big letdowns of krakoa one moira two children of the atom three lives and deaths of wolverine i don't know about two and three but i agree with your one for sure I definitely agree with your one. Uh, the reason I, I was not a big Children of the Atom fan, definitely, but I also didn't have super high expectations with that one. So calling it a huge letdown, uh, does you know I just I'm not on that same wavelength. Um, and kind of same kind of same deal with Lives and Deaths. Honestly, my expectations were not super high, so I can't say that I'm so tremendously let down. Um, I'd have to think about what my two and three are because Moira is one with a bullet, definitely. Um, needs a robo ponytail. Yeah, I mean, the bangs, the bangs would work. Um, it could just be a hair situation. <laughs> we could, we could be looking exclusively as a robot hair situation. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, it was easy to lose interest in Moira because she wasn't a part of it too. You know, um, she was, she is the story of House of X and Powers. And then she wasn't any part of the story for two years. So it, I could definitely see how readers would have been like, yeah, I, I, I've moved on. <laughs> I'm just, I like this Kirko era and I don't necessarily need her back. And then all of a sudden she's back and turning into an evil robot. So, all right, let's see. What else did we talk about? Um, okay, so we got Moira doing her thing with MJ. Again, I don't think MJ's a mutant. Uh, I don't think MJ's actually going to get skinned by Moira. Um, all you MJ heads out there. And MJ's great. Love MJ. Um, don't love this for her necessarily, but I get it. The other piece that was teased in the Free Comic Days was at the end of the Spidey issue. So we have a very Inferno-esque Free Comic Day issue where Spider-Man fights a mailbox. Uh, if you've read 1989 Inferno, I guess we need to clarify now, the original 89 Inferno, uh, a lot of New York City gets possessed by demons and you have things like sentient vacuum cleaners and mailboxes and elevators uh, killing and fighting people, all right? So... Uh, Spider-Man fights a mailbox. <laughs> he fights an angry, demonic mailbox for a while. 
and the big reveal. And I, as I was reading it, I was like, this is super Inferno-esque. I wonder what's going on here in Spidey. But it, it never occurred to me that, like, oh, yeah, this is, <laughs> like, is going to be 89 X-Men Inferno, which is basically what it is, because you've got Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley, apparently, I think, in his maybe a semi-redesigned Scarlet Spider gear, or at least I'm assuming that's Ben. Uh, just based on the visuals there. Maybe maybe Madeline even calls him Ben. Um, they're going to team up and do some sort of Inferno-y thing to, to Spider-Man and Peter Parker. It's cool. I'm here for it. It's definitely exciting. Again, Zeb Wells, the writer here, uh, was working with Madeline Pryor and Inferno-y type stuff in the Ark of Hellions. You know, those 18 issues, which are so, so stinking good. So bringing it over to the Spider-Man verse, amazing. Amazing. I also have to think, I also have to think it is potentially setting up a little Spider-Man X-Men crossover type situation, which I'm very here for now. Uh, again, I'm not always necessarily in love with that idea, but here I think it could work and work really well. And it is kind of one of those things where Spider-Man too, where it's like, maybe if you can't beat them, join them. You know, like Spider-Man can't get on the X-Men's level right now. They're not, for a long time, and I've talked about this and a million people have talked about this, this idea of like, oh, Hox Pox this character, right? Hox Pox everything. Um, they're not hoxpoxing Spider-Man, right? They're not resetting. They're not They're not doing a continuity reboot of sorts, right? Like you did with Moira. Um, they're kind of carrying on. So maybe if you can't beat them, join them. And you just kind of get involved <laughs> in the Krakoa circle because that's one of the most interesting things happening in Marvel right now, if not the most interesting, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm here for it. I'm seeing a... Ben Riley's a villain now, and, and Zeb's beyond messed him up. Ben Riley <laughs> has been a villain. Uh, a bunch. Okay? Ben Riley has bounced between hero and villain as much as just about anybody since 1995, 1996. So, can't put that one on Zeb, I don't think. Um, I'm not a huge Ben Riley head. I think the Clone Saga is not as bad as advertised, but I'm also not like a huge defender. It's just not as bad <laughs> as people say it is. There's some good stuff there. Mostly it's just exhausting. Mostly it's just way overstuffed. Um, ben is better than Peter Parker for the duration of the Clone Saga. If you haven't read it, that might sound surprising. If you have, you know exactly what I mean. Peter Parker sucks in the Clone Saga. Okay? He's really awful. He makes Ben look great since that time. And you have a little jam to Maddie's Scarlet Spider stuff, right, with Ben Riley. Um, but since then, nobody's quite figured it out what to do with Ben. I've got no problem with him playing the Havoc role as uh, the subservient, you know, evil partner of Madeline Pryor. I got no issue with that. But again, I don't have tremendous affinity or, or connection to that character. So I, I think the Beyond Arc, it kind of lost me. You know, it kind of lost me a bit. I don't think it's fantastic by any measure. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I don't have a problem with this. I like this for Ben, um, just because I think it's going to lead to more interesting stories. So, all right. Someone needs to hoxpox DC, the whole thing. <laughs> um, I, I think when I, I ask this question every now and again, like on socials, and people often are like Green Lantern or the Legion of Superheroes are two of the ones that come up the most in terms of needing a, a House of X type just like super injection of creative vision. And either of those, I would be incredibly, incredibly game for. But yeah, I mean, so these free comic day issues have a lot going on for them. Uh, if you haven't checked them out, I, I recommend doing it because there's a lot of good X-Men stuff. There's a lot of good teases about what's to come. I'm excited for it. And I'm, I was kind of on the fence 
about like the Wells Romita Jr. run, more on the Romita Jr. side of things with Spidey. Uh, but now I kind of feel like I'm gonna be reading a reissue, honestly. Uh, so so we'll be keeping tabs on what's going on in the Spideyverse because maybe it's gonna cross over here, I think, and, and that would be good. The other thing we had today, and get in any questions you still have about Free Comic Book Day or anything like that, but the other thing we have going on today is X-Men number 11. This is written by Jerry Duggan. We got Pepe Larraz art. We got Marty Grastia colors, so it is a fantastic looking comic. Spoilers, okay? Spoilers, because I'm going to start at the end. I just kept saying to myself, damn, that's good. Damn, that's good. I loved the final page reveal of X-Men number 11. I loved it so much. It made me incredibly, incredibly happy. I have put zero thought and zero effort into the true identity of Dr. Stasis. I am not that invested in, in this run um, which, again, I've said a hundred times now, but it is, if this is the four-hitter, if this is the five-hitter in the X line, you know, if this is the fifth most important book and the fifth best book in the line, great. Destiny of X will be on the right track, okay? And that's where we stay. This is a really good issue. This is a really good issue. It occasionally hits quite well. That final page reveal is amazing. I, I literally was just sitting there saying out loud, damn, that's good. The final page reveal is that Dr. Stasis is, in fact, a Mr. Sinister. He is a Mr. Sinister clone. And not only that, but he is a clone who does not have the traditional red diamond on his forehead. He has a black club. Now, if you've ever seen a deck of cards before, <laughs> you know that this is one of four suits. We now have two suits of Sinister's we have diamonds, we have clubs. Presumably, the tease here, the idea here, is hearts and spades are maybe still out there. Um, the, it, the first thing that popped into my head was a, a few things, actually. But one was, remember in Giant Size Phantom X, when there's a sequence of, of Hickman and Rodriguez doing, uh, like, Phantom X baby clones, and they're either getting the diamond or, like, a circle put on their head? That doesn't totally work with this. You know, it doesn't totally work because it's, I don't think they put a club on that baby's head. But my first thought there was like, could this connect back to that? Because I still have no idea what that was supposed to be, right? What was that supposed to be? I guess maybe just a separation between Phantom X and, uh, oh, what's the, the robot from the Morrison run? Uh, Ultimatum, right? But uh, like, why did they make it so sinister? <laughs> I don't know. Just to show that he's everywhere. Uh, but yeah, I was just like, damn. That's good, okay? Uh, Sinister being Dr. Stasis, it makes a ton of sense. You have this character super interested in, in the evolutionary progression of mutant kind, uh, being kind of obsessed with Cyclops and building himself as an arch nemesis and antagonist. That stuff feels very sinister-y. Uh, well, let's talk about two parts of this. One is the club, and then two is Sinister saying, who are you to Cyclops? Okay, let's talk about the club first. It's, it's very Jeff Johnsian. It's a very literal Jeff Johnsian take on Sinister to look at the Red Diamond and think, oh, that's one of four suits, right? In much the same way that Johns looked at the Green Lantern and was like, well, there's a whole color spectrum, which is an Alan Moore idea, right? From, from an Alan Moore short story, which is great if you've never read it. Um, and saying like, okay, let's do all the colors. It's a very literal approach to comics. Now, sometimes, like, I love the, the John's Green Lantern run until I didn't. Um, sometimes it can be really good. 
okay? But it's also, it can, it can easily become ham-fisted and a little too overtly gimmicky to work, you know? So I'm curious, like, I, I guess my ideal state of things is there's one Sinister of Clubs, there's one of Hearts, and there's one of Spades. And these are basically experiments and gags that Sinister, Sinister has put out into the world where he has, like, three special clones. If there's whole roving gangs <laughs> of clone Sinisters with different suits of cards on their head, I don't think that's going to work. I just, that's going to feel like too much. I talked about the clone saga feeling exhausting. That's what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? I think that could get into really, really bad uh, just like just messy, messy storytelling and some dark waters. If there's one of each, that could be really fun. Uh, that could be really fun. So the reveal here ruled. I was super into it. I'm curious what people thought. Like, did you love this reveal? Were you like, wait, what is this? I hate it. Um, I definitely want to know. But like, yeah, the Sinister of Clubs, maybe not recognizing Cyclops. Now, my first reaction to him saying, who are you to Cyclops was like, that's Sinister being glib. I mean, it kind of looks like he's smirking. Um, you know, it sounds like maybe it's kind of a joke that Sinister would throw out there. But in the, we don't know yet, right? We'll, we'll find out. But like on the off chance that he actually doesn't know him, that would also kind of work. Because if this is a Sinister clone that that Mr. Sinister put out into the world, he's like, here's my Sinister of Clubs, you know, probably he modifies him, right? How does he modify him? Okay, Um like, like, maybe he modifies him not to know certain things. This Sinister is clearly more about, like, human survival and and mutants being the enemy. Maybe Sinister, like, puts some of that part of his personality. I mean, I think, I think there was a reference in Immortal X-Men number one where Gillen was like, you know, he was like, yeah, Sinister excised his, his racism, basically. Uh, maybe he put it in this guy, okay? Maybe he put it in the clubs. Um, have we met before? That was the line. Thank you. Here in the chat, I'm seeing it. That That's actually, it's an especially weird thing, too, to consider, not just in terms of the history of Sinister and Cyclops, but also Dr. Stasis literally met Sinister, <laughs> right? Like when he threatened him and was like, we're going to out you to Ben Urich. Um, so I, unless it's like his helmet got broken and that released a seal or some gas, where this Sinister then completely loses his memories. I don't know. I don't know how that line works, unless it's a joke. Uh, but I guess we will find out. Either way, either way, throwing a Sinister onto Orcus, hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's a great way to make Orcus even more interesting. Honestly, that is more interesting and exciting to me than Moira joining Orcus, which he's trying to do. The idea of Moira con like consistently emailing Orcus and just getting ghosted constantly is way more fun to me <laughs> than her actually joining and teaming up with Orcus. But I do love a Sinister on Orcus, but like not real, like just a totally differently functioning Sinister. Also, if Mr. Sinister that we know on the Quiet Council of Kirkoa knows about this, why would he do that, <laughs> right? What games is he playing? That's where this can go. There's so much good untapped Sinister stuff that is still just waiting to happen. And obviously, with Gillen around, I have high confidence. It's it's already in swing. It's already in motion. But there's so much there. There's so much there to tap into. So, all right. Let's see, let's see what people are saying about this as I get some water. 
wouldn't that be the human line of Sinister Clones? Yeah, I thought about this too, right? Because if, if, until House of X and Powers of Ten, we knew Mr. Sinister as a human, like as a genetically enhanced human who, who utilized apocalypse technology back in the 1800s, uh, but not as a mutant. That's new, right? That's new to this era that Mr. Sinister is officially a mutant where he injects himself with DNA. Could this still be a strand or, or of, could this be the original? Even, right? It's always a question you got to ask with Mr. Sinister and the clones. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't rule that out too because it would, it would, it would play into his, you know, obsession with humanity as, as the only ones to survive. All right. Um, no, Dr. Stasis hasn't met Mr. Sinister. That's not what I was saying. I'm saying Dr. Stasis has met Cyclops. Okay. It, well, I mean, I guess Dr. Stasis has met Mr. Sinister because he's looked in a mirror, <laughs> but not in a, not in a comic separately. I don't think that's what I was intending to say there. Let's see what else. Okay. Okay. See, I kind of hear the trickster Titan that sent Omega Sentinel back was likely Sinister's Chimeras from Life Nine. Uh, okay, interesting. If that's what became of Zorn and Rasputin, that could kind of work. I mean, I think I speak for everyone <laughs> when I say I want to see Rasputin come flying out of a black hole at some point. But uh, but that's an interesting theory. I, I, I accept it. I'm interested in it. What else? Where the heck is Legion of X? It's been delayed for over a month now. Yeah, I mean, like, shipping schedules are brutal, clearly, with everything right now. Um, comics are obviously hit by this quite hard. I, I said this, I don't know when, a few episodes ago. The Destiny of X is not going to be, we're not going to be able to properly sort of take it in and judge it for until months after, like, the, the release of these first issues. Because it's not going to be coming out on even the regular weekly comic book cadence. Like, stuff is going to be, like, just expect, like, stuff is going to be delayed and pushed and release dates are going to be super weird. Uh, and I don't envy the task <laughs> of X-Men editorial and any editors in comics right now trying to account for that, right? T trying to plan for stories adding up in, in a relatively tight-gripped continuity when you don't even know when your comics can come out, you know? So, I, yeah, like, I don't think it's a Knights of... Or what is it? A Legion of X thing. Like, I don't think it's a series-specific thing so much as schedules are so messed up right now. Uh, it's going to be months. It's going to be months. Like, like hopefully the things get better, right? Just broad, generally speaking, hopefully things get better. And, uh, and by fall, by winter of this year, you know, you can be back on a regular cadence and look back and be like, oh, okay, yeah, th those things worked out. Um, but yeah, the Destiny of X is going to be, whereas the Reign of X, like, stagnated hard, if the Destiny of X feels like that, I am definitely willing at this point to be like, okay, but we should expect that. We should expect it to be slow and not coming out because when stuff is dropping right now in the destiny of x for example x-men number 11 they're not holding back this is this was my ask right of the destiny of x was stop holding back right stop like like throw your fastball okay all of you like everyone in the x office throw the fastball let's see what you have let's see what ideas are out there let's get this thing going right and that's happening that's happening so far um most books have been quite good so again, I, I am willing to extend some patience on that front because of, you know, that is an, an outside 
way of the world thing as opposed to, you know, the comics themselves, the stories. Um, and again, yeah, it's like it's not like it's just Marvel. Not like it's just Marvel. So, okay, we'll see what comes there. Um, what else? What else? Whatever happened to Maggot? <laughs> um, hey, listen, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're barking up the wrong tree. The the mutants, the weird mutants that I actually care about <laughs> are Dupe, all of Ecstatics, which are in a book I don't care about, ironically. Um, who else? Blink. I like Blink a lot. Uh, anyone from the Age of Apocalypse, really? Where's Sugar Man? That's what I want to know, right? Where is Sugar Man? I'd rather get a Sugar Man than a Maggot appearance, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't... Maggot's a popular one. Uh, Glob Herman is another one like that that is super popular that I just do not... Here's the thing. When your first introduction to somebody is them trying... is lighting themselves on fire and trying to burn down a bus full of kids, <laughs> they're, not, they're not my favorite person. That's fine if you like Glob, but, you know, that means you like burning school buses. What does that say about you? <laughs> Think about that. Uh, all right. Nate Gray. Where's Nate Gray? <laughs> when will we get the reveal to the end of Age of X-Men? I'm sure it's planned. <laughs> Remember how Age of X-Men Nate Gray is having a conversation with Magneto and how it's teased and how it's out there and how no one's ever going to do anything with that until like 12 years from now when old Al Ewing is like, hey, let's play with this. <laughs> like, like that's not getting touched for years and years. Um, Oh, uh, where did we see Forget Me Not? Forget Me Not's another personal favorite as well. He did come up in something, and now I can't remember what, which, perfect, right? I, I should never be able to remember where Forget Me Not showed up. I think he did show up in one of these comics at one point or another. Uh, all right, getting your questions, getting your thoughts. Do I think Blindfold's going to be resurrected soon? I think Blindfold is in Legions of X, as a matter of fact, so I think that's a lock. We're going to see Blindfold in Legions of X, no doubt about it. Now that Destiny is back, I think all precogs are fair game. Have you been keeping up with Nature Girl? Uh, I read X-Men Green up to a point. So I saw, was it her and, uh, oh man, I don't even remember. Did, did her and, and her little friend, Curse, get thrown into the pit? Or did they get, they got away, right? But yeah, I mean, Nature Girl is on an eco-terrorism tear, <laughs> I guess. It's a wild turn uh, for what's going on with Nature Girl in, in X-Men Green. If there's something new, let me know, because I definitely, I might be behind, actually, on the, the saga of Nature Girl. All right, getting your questions here. Let's see it. What do we got? Let's see. Cyclops asked earlier, is this a pit-worthy crime? For Sinister, <clears throat> hmm. being Dr. Stasis and uh, and working with Orcus, is this pit-worthy? I think a lot of what Mr. Sinister does is pit-worthy. It's really just a matter of him actually getting caught and it being attributed back to him, you know, and it being proven that he knew about it. <sighs> I don't think it's likely we're going to see Mr. Sinister thrown into the pit. I think that for a few reasons. One, he's too interesting and compelling. You know, you kind of have to keep him on the board. I think, two, we don't really... I mean, if you think about what's happening in Sabretooth right now, 
and we're kind of building towards a prison break. But then also consider that Sabretooth is set much earlier in the Krakoa narrative than where we're at in Destiny of X, right? Like, we're up to, like, the first Hellfire Gala. Now, maybe by the end of it, we'll, we'll have caught up to the Destiny of X. It could make some jumps in time. But if you consider it's before this timeline, then that means the Quiet Council will have dealt with a prison break, assuming they're aware of this. But I don't know why they wouldn't be. So assuming everyone, anyone or anyone gets out in Sabretooth, they're going to know there are some flaws with the pit. So I don't know that it's going to be utilized nearly as heavily um, or with, with, or maybe, you know, another option here is like, <laughs> could they potentially see the error of their ways? You know, realize that throwing someone in a perpetual, endless uh, black hellscape <laughs> for all of time is a is a weird thing to have on your utopia there are some there are some options there i don't think we're going to see many other characters thrown into the pit that's that's my theory there i think as far as the actual crime um i mean he is maybe doing danger to the land maybe he is endangering the sacred land right in terms of working with orcus i think you could make that argument but again you'll need to prove that like Sinister put the Sinister of Clubs out there and that he intended for him to work with Orcus. And then you have to get to the solution of why. Like, why would he do that? You know, what is what is in it for him? Which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that Sinister, like all his behind-the-scenes clone stuff alone, is pit-worthy. Because if you actually think about, well, what are the laws? Um, he's not breaking any of them. Like, the only one he's made, like, on a semantic level to make more mutants, he's literally doing that. Uh, you can make a case that he's doing it the wrong way, but you got to be a little more specific with your laws than, than just those, uh, those handful of words. So, yeah, no, I, I don't think we'll see it. Do you think we'll see Arako play a role in Axe, a.k.a. Judgment Day? It would suck to have them leave Krakoa on its own with the Eternals after they helped free them from Amen. I bet we'll see a roll. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for sure. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could have a, if you didn't want to deal with that, or if you kind of backed yourself into a corner where you're like, this is an earth event, you could do the thing of the great ring council, all voting and being like, okay, not going to war. Like in storms, trying to convince them and she doesn't have the votes. You could do that thing. Uh, I think that would be kind of a cop out. You know, I mean, I think that's the thing is like any, Krakoa issues or mutant issues should be engaged with what's going on on planet Araco. Like these things need to be connected at this point. You know, it shouldn't just be, Hey, we, we terraformed that thing and we sent all those people there, but we don't go there very often. And I don't think that's been a problem so far. You know, we're still dealing with the ramifications and the fallout and having characters interact there a decent amount. So that's, that's good. Right. I, I I'm here for it. So I, I, I'd be surprised if it's like, it's not going to be like an Araco heavy book, but yeah, I think they should be around. I think they should be involved. I think it's a better story if they are. And it speaks to sort of the mutant power at this point in time that they have those allies out there on Mars, I think. Let's talk about Sync being the ultimate MVP. Yeah, Sync's really cool. Um, that, that was the other thing about X-Men 11, which I didn't mention. Duggan bounces the hell out of the whole cast here, right? Like, it, like sure, Sunfire and Laura are put on the back burner, and it does increasingly feel to me like Duggan has no idea what to do with Laura Kinney. I think that's the one character that he has completely whiffed on 
so far. Like, he has no idea what to do with Wolverine. But broadly, it's a really impressive balancing act. Like, everybody here gets a nice moment. That's a lot of spinning plates. Like, this issue has a lot of spinning plates in terms of the, you know, the X-Ladies going to Game World, getting their gamble on, uh, getting fun little moments, but also having serious stuff going on. It's, it's a good, really impressive balancing act. And then you have the sync thing going Wolverine in the tunnels, reminding us that, you know, he spent years syncing with Laura's powers in the, in the vault. It's a cool moment. It's a really cool moment. Him calling himself the longest living Wolverine. That's a reference to the, the centuries he spent with Wolverine in the vault. He's been sinking to Wolverine's powers for centuries. You know, that's a cool thing to be able to say. <laughs> like, like if you're not a Wolverine, especially. So yeah, I love that. I love that. Like it was a really good, one of the best issues of this run, I think, if not the best. And then the final reveal rules as well. You know, just balancing that cast is, is that is not easy to do. And I think that's one thing that many of the creators in the sex office have done really well. Al Ewing's great at it. Uh, Vida Ayala has done a great job with it, and New Mutants I'm constantly attesting to. Uh, it's definitely a skill set, I think, of many of the creators here, which is why this this era has been, you know, on on average, quite good. The other thing that came out today was uh, there's that Moon Knight thing I told you about. Um, oh, yeah, Hickman wrote a Moon Knight short story <laughs> with Chris Pacello. Uh, this was Hickman's grand return to the Marvel Universe, and it's very average. Very average. Uh, it is a setup. I don't know that we're actually getting more. I guess I kind of hope so. <clears throat> because it's like, it's a very early chapter one kind of thing. He's doing a lone wolf and cub thing with like a Moon Knight of the Future. Uh, it's got mild East to West vibes. You know, but uh, it's it didn't stand out a heck of a lot. I gotta say, part of it is, I have a very difficult time with modern Chris Pacello art. Not necessarily it, the, the legibility of it, like the actual narrative flow is often very difficult to comprehend. I frequently don't know what I'm looking at. Everything feels crowded and cramped, and it can often be very difficult. I love a lot of what Pacello has done throughout his career. Generation Next, you know, like design stuff style wise, I think his Magneto in Uncanny X-Men, the way he does the helmet with Bendis. Like, he's got great moments. Uh, this, for me, was not one of them. It definitely, it was a kind of a difficult comic uh, in, in none of the right ways, I didn't think. Uh, I'd be curious if anybody loved this Moon Knight short, uh, but it, it fell quite short to me. Now, I don't, again, because it felt so much like a chapter one, I don't know, like, is every one of these going to tell a new piece? Of, of this particular story, and then there'll be like two new chapters by different creators after that. I guess maybe then I'll reserve judgment, but if this is all it is, I mean, okay. <laughs> okay, you know, if this is all it is, like, clearly we're on to three moons, three worlds. All the talk about, like, what Hickman's next thing at Marvel is going to be, I, I mean, I've probably said this before, but it's like, I don't think it's anything. <laughs> I really don't. You know, like maybe he'll like kind of oversee stuff. You know, maybe he's kind of moving into that like coach phase of like he'll oversee the kickoff to an anthology or to, you know, relaunch the Ultimate Universe so you can put his name on the masthead and he'll write a few short little things. I don't think he's going to get heavily involved in anything. I'd be surprised by that. I could see 
my favorite idea, which I've been pitching forever, which is like a Marvel Black Label, and like him actually slowly and over time writing like a straight up graphic novel of something. You know that I could see, but I cannot see him going back on an ongoing at Marvel right now. It just does not seem to add up to where he's at in his career. All right, final chance for questions here. Let me get a sip of water. Let's get him in. You know, I did see today when I was looking at uh, what comics had come out. I was updating the reading order on Comic Carol. I saw Knights of X listed as number one of five. Implication that it's a miniseries. Didn't know that. I don't know if that's accurate, but that would be interesting. And kind of to my liking because I was pretty on the fence about that. Uh, let's see. Bill's asked this question. Uh, heard the news on Escapade. She, yeah, 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 I saw this. She's debuting on Marvel's Voices Pride as the second trans female mutant in history after Jesse Drake. Emma and Destiny will appear in her story. Uh, yeah, I saw this announced. It's going to be Marvel's Voices Pride. That's good. I, I'm liking this recurring trend of, like, a new mutant, a new queer mutant being um, uh, originating in Marvel Pride every year. I think that's good. I think getting these, you know, diverse perspectives is always great. And also like getting these different creators involved in the design and creation of these characters is cool. And then you get a character like Somnus and Steve Orlando's Marauders run where they have a chance to go on and be an interesting character. And we'll see what comes of it, you know, but it's, it's, it's a, a cool launching pad. I think it definitely works. So yeah, I, I saw that. I'll read it for sure. Uh, and, and see where we go from there. See. Uh, on what if spoilers MJ's kids are actually Moira's kids <laughs> I'm gonna go and put a no chance on that but I also was putting a no chance on Moira threatening to wear MJ's skin to the Hellfire Gala when people leaked that to me on a chat a few weeks ago so sure sure play with the theory let's see I, I don't know why Moira would have had more kids than Proteus. I guess it would be my big hang-up there. Uh, we got a super chat coming in here. Think Stasis was surprised Scott recognized his actual face, and he didn't know much about Resurrection, so I think OG Sinister erased memories from him. Okay, so you can interpret it as, obviously Dr. Stasis knows Cyclops, but based on Scott's reaction, he was like, oh, like you recognize me, and he was surprised about that. Hmm. I guess probably nobody outside of Krakoa would know about Mr. Sinister's involvement with Krakoa. So it's not like he would be like a public face in any capacity. Okay. Yeah, I could I could buy that interpretation. I think it's interesting. Uh, I've seen a wreck here. Uh, how about a Saturday stream? Um yeah, I mean, I appreciate the recs for, for times that are best for people. Uh, I got to say, like, for me, it's just purely when I can do it. Uh, and I can do stuff right at the end of the workday. And uh, otherwise, you know, I got I got projects and I got work and I got family. Um, so that's really all it is. So Wednesdays, uh, Wednesdays it is for this foreseeable future. How do you think Proteus will act when he finds out the truth about his mother? Hmm. We've not gotten a lot of time with Proteus, which feels 
you know, like something that should happen, given his status as one of the five, right? Hmm. It'd be kind of interesting if Proteus, like, was like, that's my mom, I'm going, or I guess was like, that's my mom, I'm going with her, right? Like, I guess that would be, I'd be okay with that. I got no problem with that, mess up the five. You know, I don't, I don't think that once Proteus, like, like right now, Proteus is, like, relatively likable. You know, he just seems like a kid who's finally got, I guess that's the other thing for Proteus is, like, he's finally not in a miserable state of vampiric hunting. <laughs> like, Krakoa holds some appeal. It has gotten him some good things. Would seeing his robot mom override that? Uh, maybe not, actually, if we think about it. Maybe not. All right. I think we're going to cut it. I think we're going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for joining today. Very much appreciated. I, I'm very glad that you were all able to join. Thanks to those of you that got questions and uh, had a good chat here about the comics. Again, good stuff. I, I'm excited about this direction. I'm excited about people throwing fastballs again and delivering some high-quality, high-quality uh, content. Okay, Scottish Brogue, thank you. Thank you. It's one of the accents I am comfortable doing on air. <laughs> Maybe the only one, actually. Uh, but, yeah, I got I to gotta get that going with Moira now. Like, it, like here's the thing. If we're going to have evil Moira robot, we got to lean even harder into the Scottish accent. So that's my promise to you. I will bring that to the table. Uh, you keep showing up every Wednesday here for Casual Kirkwood Live, and we'll talk about the X-Men comics then. So thanks, everybody, for joining, and enjoy the comics. <laughs>